And I thank the pastor for that uh, opportunity. I know he's a little protective of his pulpit, which I used to be too when I was pastoring. And uh, so I know it's kind of tough for him to say, well, let somebody else fill in this next week. But he needed the time off. And I hope you uh, brought your Bibles today and uh, getting a little bit of feedback here, uh, Diane, a little bit. Uh, and you'll turn to the book of James. I've only been in this book uh, six years now. <laughs> Lou always said I was slow. And uh, yeah, 2012 is when I started it. So <clears throat> anyway, it's, uh, it's a good book. Uh, you know what's exciting? You can sit down and read this book of James and uh, me, 20 minutes. You, maybe 10. But it wouldn't take too long. And uh, it, it just it, it can speak to our hearts uh, all the time. It's, it's, it's a simple book, and yet, look here, it's profound. You'll see some profound things today, I'm sure, that the Lord has showed me. One event that I, I used I really look forward to uh, towards the end of summer and the beginning of fall is to going to county fairs or state fairs. I just like to go to them, and if Lou would say amen to that, because she said, in the first place I usually head is to the barns. Uh, I always kind of like cows and kind of see what they did. But uh, I, in fact, if there was a good fair within 100 miles, I would probably be there, large or small. Well, while Lou and I were uh, in Southern California pa- uh, pastoring, actually uh, planting a church there, we took in the largest fair I've ever seen, perhaps some of you have seen it too, is the L.A. County Fair. And they used to boast, I don't, this is hard to believe, but they boasted that this fair was spread out over 400 acres. Can you believe that? I couldn't, but uh, it was big, I will say that. <clears throat> and anyway, it was definitely huge compared to the Valley Fair, if you've ever been there. <laughs> but it was just packed with booths and tents and, and displays and barns and exhibits. I mean, it just went on and on and on. You couldn't cover it in a day. But uh, it, it was kind of neat. You know, because I always thought, well, it was about 75 miles from where we were in Moreno Valley. And uh, I always thought, L.A., County Fair, what do they know about fairs? This is L.A., you know. But uh, they had it set up pretty good. They had a lot of good stuff there. But one booth that I've noticed that really uh, is getting more and more popular, although it was always popular, uh, is at fairs. And that is, and it's getting to be more popular lately, is the palm reading a booth or palm reading tent where people could go and get their palms read. Uh, the interstate fair, I just went to that here a few weeks ago, and uh, they, sure enough, they had a palm reading place where you could go in. And so they could predict your future is what they would say. <clears throat> and the L.A. fair was no exception. Uh, they had one there. In fact, I remember it clearly because people were lined up to go in to get their palms read. Uh, and we commented, Lou and I, to, uh, with each other, how looking into the future seems to fascinate everyone. <clears throat> Christians are not exempt from that either. They also want to know the future. Uh, as in every Bible study I've ever attended or led, uh, uh, they, if you were asked the group, which commonly we did when we finished up a book, what would you like to study next? Inevitably, they would say, the book of Revelation. <clears throat> so I started to think, well, why would they want to 
study that because most of it covers with, talks about what will happen to us and others, the non-believer as well, in the future. Uh, People want to know what's going to happen in their lives tomorrow, next week, a year from now. And if someone could give them just a little bit of insight into the future, then they can plan their life accordingly, right? Well, baby, it sounds good, but maybe it's not that good to know what's up ahead. And to be honest, we all make future plans, don't we? You've got probably a plan for this afternoon, whether it's just to sit in front of a TV watching a football game, but you've got some plans. You've already got some plans on your calendar of what you're going to do this coming week. Maybe you just got something penciled in. What you got? You already got some plans. <clears throat> you got plans for next year. You probably got plans for Thanksgiving. Thank Christmas. What you're going to do, where you're going to go, who you're going to spend it with. We make plans for the future. Well, with that thought in mind, let's look into this portion of scripture we want to look at today. In the book of James, he gives us some practical advice on how Christians are to plan for the future. That's James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, how to plan for the future. Let's stand as we read the word, God's word here, out of reverence for him, and see what he has to say here. James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we shall go such into such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Uh, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. Verse 16. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. As usual, Lord, it speaks to each heart here. We do have to be open, though, to that. We can't be thinking about what we're going to do today. What uh, upset us this morning as we were coming to church, maybe a little argument. Maybe we didn't like the way the weather was. Maybe the dog was barking too much next door. Father, whatever it was, put it, let's put it aside right now. Because I know, Lord, you want to speak to each and every person here today. And God, but we have to hear. Open up our ears. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, you say. Let us hear what you have to say. Just a one-liner for some of us. That's all we need to hear. But we have to go out of here thinking about you and what you said to us through me. Thank you, Lord, for that opportunity to speak your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, folks. As I said, it's just a great book to me, the book of James. I I used to say it's one of my favorites, but to tell you the truth, I think it's my favorite. Within this passage of Scripture, James warns us about three common mistakes that we make regarding planning for the future. Mistake number one, he says, planning without God. Verse 13, take a look at it again. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Excuse me. Uh, 
James's readers had planned a business venture, a business future. It's pretty simple here. They were businessmen, whatever. We're going to go to such and such a city. We're going to make a killing there. We'll come back here and within a year. But the problem was they omitted God in their plans. Could this concept apply to each and every one of us today that we don't include God in our planning? You know, it's easy to do. Now, we hate to, to, uh, excuse me, we have to note here that it's not the careful planning that James condemns here, but as he's concerned with those who are planning their future without consulting God. What is condemned is planning that leaves God out of those plans. Have you ever made plans about what or where you're going to go or what you're going to do in the future without consulting God? You might say to yourself, well, it sounds so good. It looks good on paper. I've planned it out. How can it miss? I know what I'm doing. That's a good investment. I don't need to ask God, we would say. We wouldn't say that out loud, but we we know what we're doing. The real question should be, do my plans coincide with God's plan for me? Someone has said this, and I don't know where I found it, but uh, I wrote it down. It says, if we keep God out of our plans, he will leave us out of his. Think about that. If we keep God out of our plans, our planning, excuse me, he will leave us out of his. He's got plans for us. But it could be completely lost if we continue to do our planning. So then, what's the solution to avoiding this mistake of planning the future without God, it's pretty simple, James says. Include God in your goal setting. Include God. Verse 15, notice what he says. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. A lot of times we'll say, Lord willing, I'll be there. God willing. That's that's a good habit, I think, to get into if we mean it. And it's not just something that's off the top of our head. Consult him. Talk to him about what you're planning to do. Proverbs 16.1 says it this way. You may make plans, but God has the last words. And 16.9 says, we should make plans counting on God to direct us. Jesus said in John 4.34, my food, he says, is to do the will of him, that's the Father, who sent me, and to finish his work. His whole life on this earth was planned around God's plan to finish the work. And sure enough, you remember what he said on the cross, it is finished. He finished it on the cross for us. God's will is always the best for his children. And we should be seeking that will, considering it in our planning. He's the one who holds the future in his hands. And since he has a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives, which he does, We cannot afford to make decisions independent of him. Maybe you might have plans to start your own business someday. Sounds like a good plan. You know, and you've probably been penciling out for quite a while. Maybe you have plans for an early retirement if you haven't already retired. And if you are retired, you might say, well, it's time to downsize. That's what I hear from a lot of people who are retired. That's a nice big home with all these kids. They're gone. It's time to downsize. Sounds logical. 
Maybe you have plans to build or buy a new home or to move out of this area completely. You say, well, as soon as I get finished with doing this or that, we're going to move. I've always wanted to live so-and-so or whatever. Maybe you've even got plans to trade in that old car and buy a new one. This list goes on and on what our plans is. The question is, have you talked to God about it? Have you consulted him? Saying, if the Lord wills, I'll do such and such, as he says in here in verse 15. Or do you totally ignore his will and you push on doing yours? In our planning, it's easy to fail to hear that still small voice because it's, our minds are so cluttered with all these things that we have day in, day out. Which that voice reminds us that life and breath and all the things are in God's at God's disposal. The future is not uncertain to God, but it definitely is uncertain to us. So the, would it be wise to include God in our goal setting? I remember years ago <clears throat> uh, when I knew that I felt I wanted to reach more people for the Lord, and I read about it, and I thought, well, the best way, I said, I'm no Billy Graham, and I can't afford to do what he does, so the best way then is church plant. So I asked the conference superintendent if, uh, if they had a place they wanted to plant a church around here, and no, we don't have nothing in the making, we're thinking about it and all that. So I contacted a, a superintendent, a guy I went to school with, actually, in, in high school, and uh, who lived down, who was a superintendent of the Southern California Conference. And he says, oh, yeah, we've been talking about it. And uh, we've got a couple of places. And so we went down to visit uh, Lou's sister, lived in the San Diego area. And, uh, and then we met with Wayne, and he took us around to a couple of places. One was in Arizona, and one was in California, Southern Cal. So we looked at him, and uh, the Southern California looked a little better to us. So I prayed. And I prayed that the uh, Lord would give us direction. And, uh, but I also prayed for a good hay crop that year because it was 1987 at that time. And, and uh, I still had about 75 acres in alfalfa at the place. So, and it had been producing good. So I prayed, Lord, you've got to give us a good crop because it's conference superintendent down in Southern Cal says, we'll cover the housing, which was a fortune to us in those days, although... It's chicken feed today, but it was 750 bucks a month. I couldn't imagine that, you know. So he says, we'll take care of that if you can take care of the rest. So I said, no problem. Uh, we'll sell the hay. We'll take the money from that, and we'll make it for about a year, I told him. Well, <clears throat> it was a good crop. I remember those nice big windrows looked behind the swather. Oh, boy, this is going to be good. And then it started raining. Uh, <clears throat> oh, about two days after it was on the ground. You know, they dread that. If you've ever been... Uh, doing hay at all, you do dread, dread that rain on that nice green hay. And it rained and it rained. And I was going back and forth 115 miles to Sanders Church, pastoring there, getting back, trying to get back with the good weather, turn it over, turn it over. And uh, of course, it loses a lot of its uh, quality, we could say, at that time. After you turn it over, I finally got it up. I sold it to, to a guy that... Uh, that he had some heifers and some dry cows. He said he would feed it. And uh, I could have got 80, 85 bucks now in those days, a ton. And uh, he bought it for $45. I remember it very clearly as I pulled that last hay wagon out of the field. I sat down and leaned up against the tire and I said, God, what are you doing here? 
I said, I'm not going to blow that money on some casino or or uh, buy some toy or something. You know what I got in plan. I want to go down there. I want to win people for the Lord. And and you let it rain. I mean, I just had it with them. And uh, I went on and on and kind of just, uh, you know, there's nothing beats being honest with God. He knows what you're thinking anyway, so you might as well say it. And uh, so anyway, I sold it to that kid. And, and or Actually, it was his dad that I sold it to, but he helped me load it. And uh, and I and I thought, well, what what's going to happen? Well, sure enough, the hay only lasted money from that hay only lasted about six months. When we got down there instead of a year. And uh, but I realized then I started realizing that God had a different plan than mine. That was my plan to sell it for good quality hay. But his plan was he had other churches, three other churches: San Bernardino, Riverside, and uh, Redlands Church kind of rally around us and help us with those everyday needs we had. And uh, and they did. And I was starting to see he wanted other people involved with those plans instead of just me. So uh, a different plan, yet you which we'll all find out. Anyway, that was his plan. Well, the second mistake here that we can make in future planning is presuming that you have a tomorrow. Presuming that you do it. Notice verse 14 again. Yet you do not know what your life would be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, I got up in the morning, a nice, beautiful day. But across the fields, I noticed there was a kind of a mist, uh, like a cloud almost. It wasn't very high. Above it was nice and clear. And it was kind of cool how that set across. I'm sure you've seen them too. I went in and took a shower. And I came out, and it was gone. James reminds us <clears throat> that our lives are just like that morning mist, a vapor. It appears for just a few moments and then vanishes. When we're young, we think we're going to live forever. Let's face it. When we start getting a little gray hair, we say, wow, and where did it go? It's gone. <laughs> it's way gone. It's just like a short-lived puff of smoke cloud of dust, it's gone, vanishes. Tomorrow may bring health, wealth, success, or may bring sickness, poverty, failure, or even death. Isaiah 56, 12, here's how he puts it. Come, they say, he says, let us get wine and let us drink heavily of strong drink and tomorrow will be like today. Only more so. Now that's presumption. Solomon wrote, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will, may bring forth. Proverbs 27.1 None of us know for certain whether or not we will see the light of another day. We cannot presume that we will be here on this earth the rest of today, let alone tomorrow. So then, what's the solution for avoiding this mistake of presuming that we have a tomorrow? And that is simple again. Live one day at a time. Jesus said it better. In Matthew 6.34 from the Living Bible, he writes, So don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of tomorrow. Live one day at a time. 
Now, I hear this verse, verse quoted mainly, folks, and I'm sure you have too, from per- people who have just been diagnosed with terminal cancer and they've been told a year, maybe six months. So you ask them, well, how's it going after you've heard about that a week or two later or a month or two later? How's it going? Well, we just take one day at a time. You do that, don't you? You start thinking about, this is a precious time. Before that, you never thought about it as much as when it's the numbers right there. Just take them one day. The lesson to be learned from this is that we should take full advantage of today and the opportunities of today. Make the most of every opportunities because the days are evil, the scripture says. Opportunities that God has given us today. Are you living for today? It's easier said than done, though, isn't it? That's what I find. But remember, life is short. It's just a vapor. Moses put it this way in Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and you said, I'm going to enjoy this day that the Lord has given me because I may not have it tomorrow. Folks, uh, don't be deceived into thinking that you, it's, you have lots of time remaining to write that letter. I know people don't write letters today very much, but to drop a note. Don't think you're going to have lots of time to do it. Don't be deceived into thinking that you have a little more time to make that phone call. You can always do it tomorrow. You could do it today. Or to make that visit. The Lord has impressed upon you to go visit so-and-so. Well, I'll get around to it. Don't be deceived into thinking there's lots of time remaining to settle that debt or to get that sour relationship squared around. Don't presume that you will have a tomorrow. Instead of telling others about our plans for the future, we should be telling them about our dependence on God today. So live one day at a time as if it were your last And that leads us into mistake number three and possibly the most important one. Postponing what should be done today. Notice verse 17 again. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do, does not do it to him, it is a sin. Excuse me. Procrastination, folks, is at the root of much of our troubles. An example of procrastination I'd like to read to you here from the book David Jeremiah has. It's kind of interesting. Procrastination. There's a wonderful story about a man who was cleaning out his desk one day, and he found a shoe repair ticket that was 10 years old. Figuring that he had nothing to lose, he went to the shop, gave the ticket to the repairman, who began to search out the back room for the unclaimed shoes. After several minutes, he reappeared and gave the ticket back to the man. What's wrong? asked the man. Couldn't you find my shoes? Oh, I found them, replied the repairman, and they'll be ready next Friday. (laughs) Procrastination. Have you ever been guilty of saying to yourself, I know what God wants me to do, but I prefer not to do it right now. Later. I'll do it later. We tend to think that only doing wrong is sin. 
But James says, tells us, that sin is also not doing what is right. You see that in verse 17? The Bible speaks of two kinds of sin. Sin of commission and the sin of omission. Now we all agree that it's a sin to tell a lie. Sin of commission. But we also, it also can be a sin to know the truth and not tell it. A sin of omission. In this context, this context that we just read today, notice he says, therefore, in verse 17, pertaining to the verses before. James is saying that if we continue to shut God out of our future plans, if we omit God from those future plans, we commit sin. Because as born-again Christians, we know the right thing to do is to consult God about our future plans and to look to him for his guide and his direction. Folks, the knowledge of what is right makes us guilty of sin if we refuse to do it. That's what he's saying here. We can take this verse out of context too. Can you think of something that you should be doing, but you're not doing it? You're putting it off? Then it is sin. Verse 17, the right thing to do and not do it. To him, it is sin. So what's the solution avoiding this mistake of postponing what should be done today? Do it now. Pretty simple. Proverbs 3.27 and 28 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back later when you now have it with you. And here's the Good News Bible puts it this way. Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. Do you have some unfinished business that should be taken care of? Don't procrastinate any longer. Those things that God wants us to do today, obey him by doing them now. Remember, we're not promised it tomorrow. At funerals, I hear it all the time. You probably have too. I wish I would have just told them one more time that I care for them. I wish I would have told them. I wish I would have visited them just one more time. But I didn't. I didn't get around to it. I didn't take the time to get around to it. I wish I would have told them how much they encouraged me in their life and in my life, how much they would encourage me. I wish I would have, but I didn't. And it's too late. Jesus emphasizes these points that James is making here in his parable of the foolish rich farmer in Luke Chapter 12. I know you're familiar with it. You might turn to it, though, if you've got your Bible. Luke chapter 12, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 16 through 21. <clears throat> I've used this scripture more than once at a funeral, believe it or not. <clears throat> it's, it's really great. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And Jesus is speaking. He says, in verse 16, he says, And he told a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I would do. I would tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I would store all my grain and my goods. Verse 19. 
And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And then verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Powerful scripture. This story has to do with a wealthy farmer who looked into the future and did some planning. And it sounded pretty good. He said, I got lots of grain. What am I going to do with it? I got to increase my volume. I got to build bigger barns. But we note here that the man is called a fool. Why? God called him a fool, by the way. Why? Because he made all the same mistakes that James mentions here. He was foolish to begin with. He made the future plans without consulting God. He only consulted himself, the wrong person. He talked to himself. He didn't ever talk to God. The word I is used some six times in these six verses here. This is what I shall do, he said in verse 18. I will do this, I will do that. Second mistake, he was a fool because he presumed that he had a tomorrow. And that he would be around to enjoy what he worked so hard to accumulate. He forgot life on this earth was short, temporary, a vapor, short-lived, like a morning mist. and It'll be gone. He should have lived for today instead of for tomorrow. Number three, he was foolish because he postponed doing the right thing. The right thing to do would have been to use his extra resources that God had provided to help other people instead of accumulating them more and more for himself. He was foolish because his soul was demanded of him that very night. And Jesus said, Now who will own what you have prepared? Now, what was it that kept this foolish farmer from consulting God about his future plans? Let's see what James says in chapter 4, verse 16. We skipped over that verse, verse 16, chapter 4. James says, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. James identifies the root problem of this, of these businessmen who were going, businessmen who were going to such and such a city to make a profit there without consulting God. He Nailed them right down. The root problem, it's called the sin of pride. The sin of pride. Pride is what makes us independent of God. That's what kept you and me from coming to God in the first place. But that also can keep us independent of him, especially if we've come to Christ as I did later on. If we were five or six years old, Maybe we wouldn't have that problem. But you see, we have come to the Lord at a later age. We we can handle it, we say. It's the same sin that the rich farmer had and is guilty of, we're guilty of. Some of us still struggle with this sin of pride today. Why? Because the old song said, got along without you before I met you, going to get along without you now. Yeah, 
I got along without you, Lord. I did a lot of things without you, didn't I? Yeah, you, sure you did. We don't know where he helped us with, <coughs> kept us from going under. I think about the dairy years. He kept us from going under many times. And I thought I did it all myself. The rich farmer, is Jesus' parable, could have been rich toward God if he would have put his resources, his efforts into eternal things. Something that would last forever. And what is that? You and I both know. It's people. They'll last forever. Some to eternal damnation and some to eternal life, but they will last forever. Look in your Bible. Those barns won't last. That grain won't last. Those cars won't last. Not this building won't last. Nothing will last that we put almost all of our time and energy into. It won't last unless it's people. People. And we can do that. We can do that. God has given us all the resources we need. He's given us his spirit to reach out to people. The rich farmer had a complete wrong perspective of life and how to plan for the future God's way. Let's not fall into that same trap and be called a fool by God himself instead of walking into into that presence of the Lord one of these days and him saying, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the words we want to hear, not you fool, instead of spinning all your your wheels and some of the things you do and put your life into. What James is asking his readers to consider is this. Trust in God and not a well-thought-out plan of the, for material gain. Trust in God. Number two, live in recognition that God and not man is, is, control, is in control of the present as well as the future. Can you surrender your future plans to God today? That means no more planning without consulting God. No more. No more presuming that you have a tomorrow. No more postponing what you should do today. The one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. I didn't realize that until I read this scripture. Did you? You don't see that. That's what I like about James. He talks about the sin of partiality, the sin of the tongue. Now he talks about this. They're always the right thing to do. And don't do it. Damn his sin. Lou and I have got a song here that uh, kind of fits this. I think I think it's exactly what it's saying here. You want that? You want this? <clears throat> you, want to, you want to look on here? Okay. It's uh, interesting how these things come to you. But you know, as I was preparing this message, I I really did think, what, what what is the real problem with why we do things without consulting God? And it is pride. I, I do, that is the bottom problem. But a lot of it is this, folks, that I've learned through the years. You can take it or leave it. And that is, we came to Jesus. We took him in as our Savior. And to be honest, it's fire insurance. And that's fine. Nothing matter with that. But did we ever take him, and, and the pastor preaches on that, I mean, brings this out several times, that he is Lord. But is he your Lord? Is he Lord of your life? Does he run your life? You see, if he ran our lives, 
We wouldn't be doing all this stuff without consulting him. We would be thinking about him every minute of every day. We would say, well, we would say to ourselves, well, if the Lord are willing, I'll be able to do this or that. I'll be here tomorrow and do that. Is he Lord of your life? I believe, folks, honestly, and I know I've shared this before, and so just let it run in one out, out the other, is that when I came to Christ, I, I thought I threw it all on the, on, the, on the line, and I asked Jesus to come into my life and take control, and boy, he just touched me. But to be honest, it was about a year later when I said to him, okay, Lord, I'll leave the farm. But I didn't want to before. I said, Lord, bring them in. I'll tell them about Jesus. They come to the bar. And they had people coming and buying milk and stuff. And a lot of contacts, guys, grain guys. I said, I'll tell them about Jesus. And I did. But I remember standing behind those cows one day. says, Malkin. They were on the machine. And the Lord impressed upon me, it's time that you took me as Lord of your life. That might mean leaving the farm, Jim. You love it. I mean, you would say... I bet 99% of you would say, You're, you love milking cows? And I even milk three times a day some, for about a year and a half. But I, lo- I really did like it. And I finally had to say, okay, okay, God, wherever you want to use me. And that was a turning point. And I think that's where the majority of Christians are today. They're between Savior and Lord. Is he really Lord of your life? Ask yourself that question. I know who holds tomorrow. Gretchen. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for the skies may turn to gray. I don't worry or the future, for I know. Jesus said, and today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what is ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But the one who feeds the sparrow is the one who stands by me, and the path that be my portion 
may be through the flame or flood, but his presence goes before me, and I'm covered with his blood. Many things about tomorrow I don't But I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. Let's stand away a word of prayer. Father God, you're good to us. You're so patient with us. Because we just mess up every time we turn around. But you're patient. And you come back and you put your arm around us. And you say, that's okay. That's okay, brother. That's okay, sister. I'm in your corner. And I love you. So hang in there. We praise you for that today, Lord. And we pray, God, that You spoke to our hearts today. I know you did when I prepared this. But we don't leave you out of our plans. We all have plans. But we don't leave you out any longer. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, please. As James mentioned, that's a sin. Forgive each one of us here if we've made that mistake for doing that. And go with us today, Lord, walking in a little closer to you than we did when we walked in here thinking more about you all the time, making a decision to make you Lord of our life no matter what, every minute of every day, you're going to be Lord. If that means pulling out of the business, either the milking business or the whatever, and following you, going here or going there, reaching someone, if that means that to you, Lord, let it be. Let us let go, teach us to let go what we have and to reach out to others that need you because they don't have you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities you give us day after day. And don't let us squander those times. Don't let us look back and regret, oh, I should have said this, I should have said that. No, no, we don't want those regrets. We want to say it now. Lay it upon our heart before we walk away from that person. Just tell them, do you know God loves you? He died on the cross for your sins. All you got to do is ask him to come into your life, take control of your life. Isn't that what you want, brother? Isn't that what you want, sister? You've been running your life for a while now. Let him run it. That's all we got to say. Thank you, Lord, for those words. Thank you for the life-changing that you've given us through your son, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.